Ephesians. We've been in Ephesians already this morning, and the Lord's just going to keep us tethered there for a while. We're going to be looking at chapter 4 this morning, a familiar text, but when I, I think the Lord has us um, to find some things to encourage us. Uh, we've, been, we've started this, this uh, ministry year with a couple weeks of just dialing into our mission, our purpose as a church, and, um, and just asking the Lord to just kind of give us a reset, a refocus. Um, and so that, that's what we're going to be doing today as well. We're going to be returning back to Mark, which I'm excited to, to do next week. Um, uh, it, parents, you may have, have this on your wall still, or you did at one point, but we currently have one of those rulers like on the wall where you're like, mark, it's like a height chart that you mark your kids with. Um, we, we moved five years ago, is it five or is it six? I think it's five, um, from Chanhassen, and, and then it, we didn't have a ruler. We just had like this, air, this drywall section in our mudroom that we just... Whoosh, whoosh, had all that. So I actually transferred, I got like a piece of wood and transferred those over to this new ruler. So now we have a really clear and focused ruler. But uh, it's, it's important data. It's fun data. Um, it's not a must. But it is, it is always stunning to me to like forget about it five or six months later. You're like, oh yeah, we need to check this out. And it's like, boom, these huge, some smaller, some larger in, in growth. You just mark that little pencil line. Um, but, but it's an indicator of a bunch of stuff going on. It's not just a pencil line on the top of their head. There is radical things going on in the body, in the head, in the bones, um, hormones, blood, nerves, organs, all this stuff that is, we can see visually and sometimes not clearly seen in, throughout small amounts of time. But when we look at a large amount of time, it's very clear. Some things we can't see, like cognitive development, emotional development, and these are fun, but they're also necessary medically for us to, to do. That's why parents would take their kids to their annual checkups, or we have to get our physicals as adults um, nearing 50. I'm not looking forward to the recommended evaluations that they have for you at 50. But no matter what age we're, we are, we're looking and we need to look at certain things for our growth and for our health. They're indicators that, that the part, our body parts, the things in us and through us are working. The body is functioning. And as I mentioned, as we, as we go into a ministry year, it's helpful for us to think about our mission and say, how are things going? How is, how is our trajectory? And what are the things that are most important for us in order to move in the right direction? And I believe this passage will help us consider and remind us as God's people the beautiful things that he's doing and the beautiful things he wants to do requires the entire body functioning, it, each part doing its thing so that we are making pro, pro, progress, that there, there is a trajectory, a growth, a direction, which ultimately is into Jesus as we follow him as his disciples. And, and our growing isn't, isn't just static, and like my line hasn't moved in a really long time. I still get marked, I guess, once in a while, um, but I, I, it doesn't move. Sadly, in the course of time, it's probably going to sh- start shrinking, as I understand how science works and gravity, um, but as his church, this, this growing up that we have as God's people into Jesus, the, the glorious realities of who he is will never peak out. It will never, never stop. That, that's really the aim. As we grow, we keep knowing Him. We keep loving Him. 
We keep becoming like Him until one day we do encounter Him. We're singing this morning face to face, and we will be fully known by Him. And we will fully know Him, the fullness of who He is, and the inexhaustible reality was, is what we're going to enjoy through eternity. And as we gather here this morning, we're preparing for that day. We're moving towards that day as His people. And so let us read this morning from our text, and we're going to pray and look to what God would have for us. We're going to ver- verses 1 through 16 this morning. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called into one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all, and in all. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ. Until we attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up, In every way, and to him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Join me as we pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning that we come under. We... Lord, we, we don't have the answers. We don't know the future. Um, we don't know an hour from now, Lord, what, what really is going to happen. But, but we entrust, Lord, all that we, the direction we're going to, the lives we are lived to you by what you say to us, by how you guide us. And so we, we as a church want to come under and, and hear from you, your word about what that calls us to as your church, as your body. Um, what our mission is, what our purpose is, what, what each part in this, uh, a member, each member in this room plays in that. And we, we need your help to do that. We need your power of your spirit. We need, we need your strength. We need your, your guidance. So would you speak to our hearts today? Would you guide us into that? Would you fill our heart with fresh faith this morning as your people? Amen. Amen. Well, I mentioned this already. Our mission is to glorify God by making disciples through treasuring, living, and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, this, this really spring, it springs from all of God's Word, but 
we, we see distinctly a couple shaping verses for our mission that really is a mission of every church. The Great Commission in Matthew 28 when Jesus commissioned His disciples to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them all that He, uh, all His commandments. And then the, the Great Commandment, which is to love God with all heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. And so through this, we, we have this this reality of us loving God, a vertical dimension of treasuring, of worship, and then a horizontal, a living all of life to God's glory as we move towards others in love and missionally towards love uh, those who are lost to make disciples. Uh, a disciple, a disciple is simply means a follower. And we are disciples, followers of Jesus. And the, the Great Commission, the Great Commandment is there to, to aim us as a church to go and make disciples in the power of of the gospel to the glory of God. That's, that's what we're doing, to, to go discipling and make disciples. And so, as a church, as we, as we, God does all kinds of things in us and directs us, and as we've been just praying as, as a pastoral team, like, Lord, where, where do you have us this coming year? Where do you want us to keep moving forward? And becoming effective disciple makers is a goal. I, think, I don't think that goal would ever leave us. But we want to be more faithful disciplers. Faithful disciples to the glory of God. I appreciate how Mark Dever, he's pastor and author, he, he frames it this way regarding discipleship. Discipling is doing spiritual good to someone so that he or she will be more like Christ. Discipleship is the term I, I use to describe our own following Christ. Discipling is a subset of that which is helping someone else follow Christ. The Christian life is the discipled life and the discipling life. Being discipled and discipling others. Growing as a disciple, helping others follow Jesus as disciples. So for sake of repetition, I'm slow. Who is a disciple? A follower of Jesus. What is discipling? Intentionally helping others follow Jesus. And we want this to be a growing culture in our church. What is a culture of discipleship? When the whole church discipling, the whole church is normal. Like this is what we do. Well, I'm coming alongside others to help them grow in Jesus, and I can grow in Jesus, and we partner in that. A culture is a, a set of beliefs that shape the behaviors, the way we relate, what we do, what we value. And we want the norm in Cross of Grace is where each member is discipling one another. We all, each, every one of us, there are no, nobody is exempt from this participating goal. Every one of us active, helping others know and follow Jesus. What a simple yet powerful goal. So I want us to look at Ephesians 4 to, to consider some, some, some shaping values and directions towards this mission of discipling. And I'm going to just share five observations. There are probably very many more we could. Um, this is not exhaustive, but some essential pieces I think that are helpful for us to remember. First and foremost, discipling begins with what God has done and who we are in Him. It's really important. This, this all comes by what God first and foremost does. Discipling does not first begin with what I do. It begins in considering all that God has done and then who we are because of what God has done. The book of Ephesians is a phenomenal book regarding the church. All, it's all about God's glory in and through his church. I'm really excited. Actually, our docs, our youth on their Wednesday nights are going to begin to study 
through this book this coming year. Um, they're gonna, all, the whole ministry, they're going to be in it. It's going to be awesome. So I, I would encourage you just to take time to read through Ephesians. Just at one sitting, it would probably take you 15, 20 minutes maybe. But Paul spends the first half of this letter, chapters 1 through 3, talking about the glory, glorious gospel, and what Jesus did to save his choosing, his eternal planning, his applying the redemption through his blood as he calls sinners into his glorious grace through the power of the Spirit. And it's only then, after he spends a real long time setting all of what God has done, who we are in him, we get to the chapter 4 where he transitions to, to a therefore. What Christ has done, there's some things we now to, need to do to live out of that. And he goes on in the letter to talk about relationships, about parenting, about marriage, and that's why Paul starts in verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you were called. Meaning God in his redemptive story has invited us in, called us into that story. And because of his grace and his mercy, because of this call, this summons by God through the gospel out of your identity, you are to now to, to live Live out of that identity. What does he call us? He calls us beloved sons and daughters in chapter 1. He calls us members of his household, citizens of his kingdom, chapter 2. This has all been accomplished because of what Jesus has done. And we saw in verse 9 and 10, he descended and that he ascended in his glorious gospel. Walk worthy, worthily of that, out of who you are, from who you are. Not for it, but from it. And it's important we don't get that out of order because we'll get it all messy. We'll start imposing human rules and trying to make expectations that aren't going to be able to happen because it's not flowing from who we are in Him, but what we think is what we should do. But because we are beloved of God, we live as His people, as His disciples. So, point one, it's be, first and foremost what He has done, who we are in Him, and because of who we are in Him, it, it, we do this, and we do this not alone. Point two, discipling is always connected to God's redeemed community, the church. Paul has built this case in Ephesians, the calling of God, and we are called into Christ, but we're also called into his church, the, the, the ecclesia, which means the, the called out assembly. So God saves us into this, what we call the, the big C, the, the universal church, and we are to, to then live in a local expression of that in his, what will be a local church, the little C. And his church has a structure, like a human body does, to operate and to work healthily. And, and one of those structuring pieces is, is to, for it to work is through qualified leaders and pastors. We see that in our text, that, that he gives a plurality of leadership to the church, apostles and prophets, evangelists, shepherds and teachers, different roles and different gifts, some to help plant and to serve and to care for and to move the mission forward. The mission of God, God through the church doesn't happen by one super pastor that, that's not seen in Scripture. It will never happen, but it's all done through a plurality of elder pastors working together as a team. And we believe that, and we desire to continue to walk and grow in that as a church. And one of the goals of these pastors is to equip the church for discipling. Look at verse 12. What does it tell us? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. So each and every Christian disciple of Jesus gets to and is to participate in the mission of God to make disciples. That is where the, the church is most healthy and vital in the local church. Submitted to Jesus and then partnered with one another in that discipling task. We don't ever see anywhere in the New Testament 
where following Jesus as his disciples is disconnected from a local church. And that's, that's where it happens. And this connectivity, this uniting in the discipling mission of the church is rooted, again, in what God has done and who he is. Look at this, look at our, the, the emphasis on our triune God in, in, in verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father over, of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul's been writing to a church that, that was struggling with a fraction, a fractioning of Jew and Gentile. And he wanted to remind them that the, the glory of our triune God has called you into a unity, a oneness that comes through the power of the Spirit. And that it breaks down walls and isolation and it brings us together in unity. And this is precious. This is precious. This is valuable. Our calling unites us with our triune God and it unites us with others in His church. But here's the reality. And this is why one of the reasons Paul is writing to them and urging them and what we need to be reminded of is, is this is not automatic. We, we are... We are sinful people who are prone to not love as we should. So even though this is blood and spirit bought by the gospel, we have to tend to it. If you've been in a church long enough, you know we have to tend to this. This is why he would say we walk, he urges us to walk together, verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain Steward, work on the unity of the Spirit in this bond of peace. Eager to maintain our bond. Discipling one another in the church, saints, requires we tend to our hearts, discern the many ways the enemy would come in and try to to distort or destroy or hinder this that would hinder the mission of God. Bring disunity, and we, we lean in with humility and gentleness, and patience, and love. And I just, I just think over this past year, all the transition that we've had to walk through as a church, and I, I just am, have witnessed an eager maintaining of the unity of God's Spirit. By the way, you have been patient, you've loved, you've looked to Christ, and you've encouraged one another. And so, to me, that, that, is, that is an evidence of God's grace at work in you. So, we need to be eager to connect to that, but at times, it feels easier to do this discipling thing on our own. I mean, we could just be real. Some of us are, are more wired to just do our own thing. Some of it is heart stuff too, but here's the challenge, and I think part of the warning here for that Paul's pushing on us. One commentator put it this way, pretty bluntly, individualism is immaturity. Individualism is immaturity. You, you hear the, the thrust in many points in this text to grow up, to, to leave, leave this childlike thing and to, to move towards maturity. And, and we, we cannot come into a church to serve our individualistic endeavors. That, that's not why we connect to a church, to, to find your destiny and for us to make your destiny happen. It is the glory of God and us working together, laying down our individual goals so that we can see God's glory. But we swim daily, daily 
in a world, in a culture that is self-promoting, self-discovery, self-idolizing, self-preserving, self-focus. I don't have to convince you of that. You do you. You do you. And so we, we, we swim and we work in an uphill battle against our own heart, but also a culture around us. But how beautiful is it that we get to come into God's church, God's people, and realize all kinds of people, ages, race, so, socioeconomic background, status, whatever that might be, and God makes us one new man, as we see in chapter 2, verse 15. And we become one full-grown man, is what this, this, this text is telling us too. What, what does that mean? That, that is a singular reality. Not multiple, but one. So maturity brings interdependence and connectedness that doesn't seek my individual goal, but the goal of others. And it, it is for our joy. We do experience joy when we lean in and we're seeking the joy of others. So, all starting and worked by God's grace, we, we do it with, with others. And this connectivity to Christ and one another, like the body, it has a purpose. Discipling is with the purpose of, of growing, of growing. There, there is maturity in view. The church, through the redeeming, calling of work of Christ, spirit uniting, connecting us, placing us in the church of body with among pastors and teachers and each member doing its thing, it, the body grows up. Look at verse 12. The body of Christ will attain unity, knowledge of the Son, mature manhood, or other words, become a full-grown man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Verse 15, we grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Verse 16, each member participating makes the body grow up so that it build itself up in love. The church, when it is healthy and working and each joint supplying, the disciples in that church, God's church, experiences maturity and growth. That is, that is a, a purpose that God has through his church. And how does it grow up? Look at verse 15. It tells us, by speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. So let's look at these two kind of pieces, speaking the truth. This phrase literally means truthing. It, it, so it is speaking, but it's more than that. It is, it is doing truth. Like it's a people where truth saturates their hearts and their minds. We wanted to be guided into truth. We want to know truth. God's word, the truth of Scripture is what we've been given so that it can shape our thoughts and our mind. We know what is good and right, what is pleasing to the Lord and what is displeasing to the Lord. We know who we are and what we are to believe. We know what is evil and what is honoring to God. And so rather than being tossed around the sea with winds of doctrines, which notice that word, beliefs, it just simply means beliefs. We want to be strong and fortified by the truth, the doctrines, the beliefs that God gives us through His Word. So that calls us to know the Word. That calls us to be a truthing people, personally, and shaping as we do that in community. But we do so in love. You have all experienced this, and I have been guilty of this. I know something really well. I know the true thing, but that true thing comes across with an absence of love. Simply knowing good theology and being able to shout it at others is not the answer. 
It is truth motivated and governed by love. Love seeks the benefit of the hearer, to give grace to the hearer, as fits the occasion, occasion encouragement that builds up. It builds up. And there is, there is beauty and safety and good when we are truthing in love. Now, truthing sometimes does come, it come in a way that is needing to be challenging and specific. But I love with Paul how he, he shapes these different tones that we come at in seeking to love disciples in 1 Thessalonians 5. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. So there are idle people who need truthing. There are faint-hearted people who need truthing. There are weak people who need truthing. And we need patience to shape. We need, we need love to shape how we, we do that. And it all is for the building up of God's people. Builds itself up in love, verse 16. So disciples who delight in truth and love, maturation takes place. And what does this maturing and growth in, in truth and love keep us from? Well, we see it in verse 14. It prevents us from being tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Um, children can be easily fooled. Maybe you've taken advantage of that at some point. <laughs> that can be fun. But yet for a church, as we grow as disciples, it is to reject infancy. It is to move towards maturity and and that we aren't easily fooled, that we aren't given to false beliefs, to the the human worldly trickery and deceitful schemes that that come at us from Satan himself, from the world around us, but we have discernment. I mean, notice the, 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 the imagery there, just like a spinning top, you just, like a piece of wood just tossed around on the sea and the waves. Like there is no, no bearing, no structure, no foundation. And Paul's charge is that we leave immaturity, that we, we move into a, a community that is truthing in love and we are able to reject the lies of the enemy, the unbelief that is around us that is contrary to the gospel of God. So what, what are some of those markers? I think we, we can see them in our text but sometimes our signs for growth as a church community, we, we can look at maybe the wrong things, right? It does not necessarily mean size as in numerical size and membership. Um, our dog Hazel, she is a three-year-old German short-haired pointer. And we go on walks or we go travel somewhere and people meet her um, and they're that familiar with that breed. They say, wow, is she, is she like, you know, 10 months or eight months? And they're like, no, she's three years old. Uh, she is this, this little runt in her litter, this tiny little dog, but she is a good dog. She's a loving dog. She's an obedient dog, even though she's a full-grown dog. And so our maturity isn't linked to just numeric values. It is a, a sense of character that happens in God's people. We aren't tossed to and fro, but become increasingly firm in who Jesus is and the truth which he gives us, his words, his commandments. And we take on that maturing as we're shaped by truth and love. You see this in John 15 when Jesus says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. 
So Jesus does lay down his life for his friends, and he loves us, and he makes us his disciples, and in response, in love for him, in our love for Jesus, we follow him and obey him and his commands, his truth, his words. And maturity is us as we grow in love for God, our love for others, and we desire to do his will more and more, and our life is shaped by his truth, and we become more like Jesus. So we mature and we grow, and we don't do it alone. And we, we've said already that we do this together, I mean, that we're connected to the local church, but, but discipling is in that it needs each member. It's not just that you are a part of the church. It, there is an active participation that every member takes. Look at our bookends as, as Paul encourages them in their unity, and then he has these two verses when he's filling out this, this work that we do, this ministry to one another. Verse 7 and verse 16, he says, grace is given to each. And then verse 16, when each part is working. Each part. Each member. Paul's making this point clear. God's grace is poured out on his church, his, his people, and it is given and it manifests in gifts. Some gifts like pastors and teachers, but not just them. It is God's grace working in and through each member of the body where each part is necessary. So each of you, saints, has a gift given by the grace and power of God to contribute as a joint supplies to a body to do something for the church so that it could grow up in love. Each part is necessary. I've been vividly aware of this as I age, of when joints and pieces don't work properly. Maybe that's you. And I've become aware of this recently as I've got a, um, one of my guys is in youth football this year, and it's mid-season, and I just had a game yesterday, and I'm just amazed at the amount of guys on crutches and like boots and just taken out because some torn ligament or something got broke. And they, that one piece of their body makes them exempt from being able to contribute to the whole and the success of that team. The whole is impacted, that individual is impacted when that joint is not supplying what it should be doing. God's beauty, God's beautiful plan is that each of us, each part of us, when it's working properly, grows God's church up in love. There, there is no sidelines in God's church, each and every one of us. And it's not just uniformity when the Spirit gives. Our unity, our oneness also brings the diversity. We know this. We see this in things like Romans 12. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have all the same functions, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, individual members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. One body, spirit, Lord, unity with different functions. Some are speaking gifts, some are serving gifts, some are leadership gifts, some are teaching gifts, some are gifts of faith and giving and mercy and giving and giving. I'm, just, I'm totally kidding. But I, I, I have been so encouraged by you, Cross of Grace, over this this year in this transition of the, the activating that I see in you. That you, not just sitting on the sideline, but, but saying, I have a gift, I want to use it. 
And it may not be the exact thing that I feel like I'm called to for my entire life, but I'm going to lean in with the grace that God supplies, and I'm going to serve for the building up. And it's happening all over here. And that blesses me, and the church is being built up. I watched a documentary some years ago about a Navy aircraft carrier, and it was called the USS Nimitz, and 17 filmmakers got on there for six months. And there were, there's 5,000 sailors and Marines on this ship that live there continually. And it was amazing to hear the stories of all the different makeups of, of this, the, the, the crew on this ship. All kinds of backgrounds, facing all kinds of realities of life. Struggles and temptations and loved ones and, and families being apart, dangers, love, pain. All of this is going on, but, but everyone had a, a task on that on that ship. 5,000 people on board were necessary. Every one of them. Manning guns to cleaning floors to working engines, flying planes, loading bombs. A unified mission. Everyone diversity but with a goal and a purpose. Every part to play. And that's us, church. Discipling in God's church requires every part given to that goal. And that's a beautiful harmony when that does and this, is, and this is where this is all kind of starts crescendoing here. It's easy, it's easy to kind of get in the rote routine of just church life. Sunday, let's do this. We got a D group and go to a small group and, and, and just lose sight of the glorious, eternal, global, cosmic thing that God's doing in and through His church. I think, I think God just wants to lift our gaze and just remind our hearts of this. Discipling has a goal, and that his people will know and display the fullness of the glory of God in Jesus Christ. If the mission of the church is to make disciples, and our discipling then is to grow up and has a goal, a powerful purpose, it, it, is, it is intended to get us somewhere Glorious, and I, follow me with a few verses in Ephesians, in chapter, in verse ten. We we reminded that Jesus descended and that He ascended, that He might fill all things. Verse thirteen: The church grows in unity and faith and knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Paul prayed in chapter thir- three. Verse 19, that they would know the breadth and the height and the depth of God's love and be filled with the fullness of God. What is this fullness that we keep saying? Let's look now at chapter 1, verse 20. And he raised him, Christ, from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and he gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Stay with me here. By his gospel work, Jesus is exalted above all. All things bow to him. He, death is crushed. The demons are defeated. 
sin is atoned for and His name and His glory is exalted and He is now the head. He is the, the leader. And we see this. Where does He choose to have His fullness, the fullness of His glory of what He has just worked in His Gospel? Who He is, His glory manifested and His glory did dwell. His body. His church. He is inviting his church, his people, to share and to know the fullness of his glory and display his glory to the world. The church is to know the fullness of him who fills all in all. Cross of grace, the church, God's plan in the church is not like plan B or plan C. It's not a spontaneous idea or a side project that God has. God's church is not just a human institution just designed by us, though it's filled with humans and sinners and heirs, but it is God's divinely created community of His people, locally expressed in these gatherings of people on His earth, but one day will be gathered around His throne as His one church. And Jesus said, I will build my church. It's His promise. And the church is central to His purposes of redemption, expanding the glory of His Son so that we can know the fullness of the Son of God. He has not withheld one ounce of Himself from us. And He wants us to know the unsearchable riches of Christ. Saints, this is what we are part of. This is what you are a part of. God's redeemed people now participating in this, this cosmic trajectory that God's doing, and one day we'll be with that heavenly crowd in the future, but now this local expression, and, and we're doing this with believers scattered all over the world, in Pakistan, in, in Asia, in the in Philippines, in, in Italy, in Maryland, and here in Chaska, Minnesota. This is, this is amazing that we get to do that. This is amazing that we get to be a part of that, that we could move towards knowing more and more of the fullness of who God is in Christ. And it is, is what John Calvin says, it is the task of the visible church, who we are on this earth visibly, to make the invisible reign, this glory, the fullness of this, visible to the world. So God's church, as, as messy as it can be, as much as it is full of, of needy and weak and flawed disciples, we are bought by His blood. We are loved by God. We are called by His name, our glorious Savior, who, who fills us with Himself by the Spirit. He unites us together so that we can grow together as we disciple one another and we learn and understand the fullness of Him, our head, who fills His body with all and all that He is. So let's, let's keep on, church. Let's keep on this year, each of us, every part, every one of us, move towards displaying the glory of God through the power of the gospel as we treasure what He has done, as we seek to live it out in our everyday life, as we proclaim it to the world around us for His glory so that we get to share in increasing ways the fullness of, of who Jesus is together. This is a gift. Lord, thank you.